It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Together. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. We've made it to podcast 111. And I've always heard that 111 is an angel number, meaning that when we see it or we notice triple ones or if it's 1111, seeing that all those numbers, it's a divine sign to awaken to new beginnings and cycles. It's a reminder to control our thoughts and an opportunity to raise our vibration. Of course, if you think that's all nonsensical, you can also just let it be a cool numerical alliteration. I thought it was a great excuse to talk numbers and data sharing in cannabis for the greater good of research and our user experience. In October, Canada celebrated the one-year anniversary of cannabis legalization. I'm excited for the Cannabis 2.0 rollout currently underway there, which means we'll finally have licensed extracts, topicals, and edible options to diversify our Canadian casually baked experience in 2020. Health Canada's final regulations are set, and licensed producers have begun submitting their proposed products for approval. It's officially time for you to start planning that North American adventure. So, I've dropped some Canadian travel tips in the podcast 111 show notes, courtesy of today's guest. On a recent trip to Toronto, I met up with the team at Lift & Co. to find out what the first year of legalization looks like from a consumer perspective. Since 2014, Lift & Co. has served as a connector for the Canadian cannabis community. They created Canada's first website for product reviews designed to help people find the right products for their needs. Five years later, 
Lift & Co. still helps Canadians explore, understand, and make better informed decisions around cannabis with product reviews, events, and data sharing. I sat down with Sean Copeland, the VP of Data with Lift & Co., who recently launched the organization's flagship data product, Cohesion, a consumer insights platform to help cannabis marketers make better brand decisions. Sean led consumer research, data analytics, and data science teams at a number of companies before bringing his experience in consumer insights to the exploding Canadian and global cannabis industry. To date, in Canada, much of the consumer information collected on 2.0 products is from legalized U.S. states like Colorado, Oregon, Washington, and here in California. The differences between Canadian and U.S. regulatory structures both with respect to cannabis and other areas such as banking, the different levels of government and legal systems, as well as consumer attitudes within and towards the cannabis sector, give enough support to assume that Canadian consumers are probably different from U.S. consumers when referring to cannabis-based products. That was a mouthful, but all of that means we need to see Canadian data. So, using this premise... Lift & Co. and ENY collaborated to enhance the understanding of the Canadian consumer. I thought it would be fun to explore these consumer avatars and how crowdsourced data is shaping the cannabis industry while documenting the mainstream evolution of a counterculture. So settle in, my friend. And maybe just go ahead and make a wish. Like, who knows? This one 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 thing, there could be something to it. So... <laughs> do it. Go ahead and make a wish. And then it's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. Sean, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today. Um, I've been at a conference these last couple of days and BDS Analytics was there and mm -hmm. they're sharing content about the cannabis consumer in the United States. And you shared with me some data um, from a study that you guys did in um, conjunction with EY. And the Canadian cannabis consumer could not look any more different. <laughs> but I really think it's a great conversation to have because if we can really understand who these people are, then we know how to change their minds. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me how you got involved in this project, and then I'd really like to just dive into these avatars. Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. So we decided to embark on this project because we found almost exactly what you found is that there was a lot of data for U.S. consumers, but there wasn't a lot of data on Canadian consumers. And we know looking at other data sets in other markets that Canadians don't tend to be the same as the U.S. consumers. Um, and so, yeah, we partnered up with E&Y and embarked on this big uh, research project to sort of uncover who is the Canadian cannabis consumer, um, but also look at who's not consuming cannabis as well. Yeah, and there were 54% of this country that aren't, aren't consuming. And, you know, it's so crazy when you think about a legal market and almost a year later, over half the country still not even dipping their toe in the water. Like, that's crazy to me. 
Absolutely. And I mean, part of it is the, the way that we've rolled out. And so there's limited uh, product factors for people to choose from, um, which will change pretty soon. So we have 1017 coming up. And that's sort of the date where all of a sudden you can start to introduce edibles and topicals and um, all these new um, concentrates into the market. Mm-hmm. And we actually expect about 3 million new consumers entering the market because of these new products. I absolutely believe that. And, you know, it's been coined Canadian Cannabis 2.0. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with that first rollout within this first year, people only had access to flour and oils. And frankly, if somebody's new, they're not smoking a doobie. Like, that's just not how they want to enter into the space. I mean, in the States, that low barrier to entry is like getting someone acquainted with a topical for their arthritis, and then you go forward. So the rollout here did make things really interesting in the consumer landscape. Absolutely. Um, You know, we saw early on that typical um, archetype of a consumer, where it was, you know, younger males who consume every day and and those were the ones hitting the retail market early on. Um, But recently, we've actually seen the emergence of someone who's a little bit more on the uh, female side of things and uh, actually interested in cannabis from a wellness perspective. So really changing up who the cannabis consumer is, even within the limited factors that we have. You know, I am a female that is into (laughs) cannabis for wellness. And so that very much is, you know, the audience that I really try to talk to because, you know, frankly, as much as men don't want to admit it, if there's a woman in their life, she's pretty much making those big major buying decisions. She's like, okay, yeah, you've been taking this. Well, now you're going to take this. And a man will just obligingly take what his wife tells him to. (laughs) It's going to make him better. Of course. Yeah. And, you know, men do live longer if they're partnered. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So women have a really strong opportunity to change that wellness landscape here in Canada. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing is on the consumer side. So we've noticed it's mostly males going out and buying the cannabis. But when we actually ask who's consuming it, it's very evenly split 50-50. The data set that you pulled from it did appear that you, I mean, it was pretty even the Mm -hmm. people that consumed and who didn't, who was men, who were women. And so, you know, I think you really captured a nice, a nice segment. Um, I fall into your um, versatile connoisseur category. (laughs) And so it appears that only 10% of Canadians really know their cannabis and shop with a purpose when I was looking at the data and 54% of Canadians aren't consuming, you know, the correlation that I saw very blatantly was that they don't really know what THC is or how CBD works. And so, you know, education is that key to changing what this pie looks like. It is absolutely, you know, there, there's been probably more than a hundred years of stigma um, around cannabis. And as soon as the government says, you know, actually Health Canada, as an organization says, you know what, it's actually okay. Then all of a sudden it becomes a knowledge play. Um, but there is there is still that stigma that it needs to overcome. And, and I think that does come with, with knowledge and yeah. education. Yeah. So based on all of the data you collected, you know, what are, what is your action plan? You know, my, my life philosophies do it or don't, but do. So what are we doing with this information? Yeah. So 
you know, we, we take a really interesting approach to the way we collect data as well. Um, I'll just start with that. Uh-huh. Uh, and we want to make sure that there's a clear value exchange between us and the consumer. And so the consumers that we collect data from, they're saying, here's my receipt data. They're not doing it because they don't know they're, they're doing it. They're actually clearly saying to us, here's my data in exchange for points. Yeah, and I think that that is actually good to pause and talk about because people are constantly having their data scraped Mm -hmm. by social media and by companies. I mean, hell, I once a year, I get my a statement in the mail from Honda, who I purchased my car from saying, if you don't fill out this form and check these boxes and put a stamp on it, your data is going to our advertising partners. (laughs) And every time I'm like, oh, well, I'm filling this out. And then, of course, you know, because they make you do it on paper and you have to include like, you know, your account number and all these things that none of us even know anymore because we pay all of our bills online. I'm starting to get calls in the middle of the day or the middle of the night from telemarketers. And so you know, being able to protect our data is so important. And so whenever that was one of the first questions I remembered asking you is like, Mm -hmm. how, how are you protecting people's data and their information? And I really liked your response. So yes, tell us how, you know, Lyft procures and then protects people's information. Yeah. So definitely um, data privacy, but also just a a very clear and and open communication around how we use data and how we collect data. Mm -hmm. It's really important to us. It's really foundational to what we do. Um, Because when people go and they purchase something from a retailer, they're providing data because they have to. Yeah. You know, they're they're purchasing something and and in in exchange, um, they have to give data. They're not being asked, would you like to provide your data? It's here's my data because I'm purchasing something. Um, In in our instance, you know, we're taking a different philosophy where we're saying, if you give us your data and that's your choice, you don't have to. But if you do, you're helping us. So we're going to give you some points in exchange and, you know, you can redeem those things for gift cards or merchandise and, and whatever. But there's also more of an altruistic approach to it as well, where we're saying you're also helping the community. So by providing data, we're taking that data and we're aggregating it and we're providing it back to the community to inform them, Mm -hmm. um, to really educate them on different products and strains and and things like that. Yeah, it's that whole Jerry Maguire, help me help you (laughs) thing. And it's really true. I mean, if, you know, people know that they're providing their information that will help the collective, but then also Mm -hmm. help brands provide them better products. Exactly. You know, I... I just have been so disappointed in the pre-roll situation here. I finally broke down and bought a grinder because I was like, this is terrible. (laughs) And so I did talk to a few brands and just say, like, we need to have a conversation about hand-rolled versus machine-rolled joints. And I've been telling people when they visit Canada, like, you know, don't worry about it. Don't, you know, don't be riding dirty across the border. Like, just go purchase a few pre-rolls. Now I'm like, do not purchase pre-rolls unless you specifically ask if they've been hand-rolled. And that's why our data is so important um, because we're collecting feedback like that from consumers on specific products. Mm -hmm. And then the brands can see that data and they can make more informed decisions to say, you know, do these pre-rolls meet the expectations of the consumers? Are the product features what we actually wanted them to be? Yeah. So through this research, y'all came up with these archetypes, you know, three that were cannabis consumers, three Mm -hmm. that weren't. And I thought it would be fun to kind of give just a little brief 
characterization of each of them, mm -hmm. especially these non-consumers, because people that do consume, I'm like, if you recognize what these hot buttons are for these people, and because they did kind of talk about why you aren't consuming, what are these reasons, and there was this kind of collective three or four reasons why yeah. these people aren't consuming. So I thought if we kind of highlighted those, people would know how to better have these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. On the on the non-consumer side, it does come down to knowledge um, because they're not sure what the effects are going to be on their body. If you've never tried something before, you just don't know what you're getting into. Yeah. And so when you show product features like this has this much CBD or this much THC, first of all, they don't know what those things are. But secondly, they don't know how it's going to impact them. So mm -hmm. they don't know how to gauge what they should buy. Yeah. Well, and so that was one of the main things I kept seeing was that all of the, these non-consumers are concerned about the long-term health effects. They're like, we just don't even know what might happen. Right. And so it's like this really high-level fear. And we're like, this has been around for thousands upon thousands of years, used as medicine. So long-term effects, you know, I think we're okay but it's like, okay, this is a concern that's really needs to be addressed. And so have y'all come up with ways that you're kind of helping people ad address this long-term health effects? Yeah, for some people, it is going to take uh, someone from the medical community, like a health practitioner, to recommend a product. Um, you know, and that's really on the far end of, of the spectrum. They're mm -hmm. saying, we need our... Um, health practitioner, whether it's a nurse or their family doctor, to say, you can use this, it's safe, it's going to help you with pain or whatever it is. Um, but for other people, it's just learning. You yeah. know, it's, it's learning that a lot of other people are consuming these products and it's helping them, um, whether it's just for fun or if it's mm -hmm. for other reasons. You know, that's, that's what they need to hear. And they just haven't been allowed to hear that. Yeah. And I do think that is a, an interesting thought, too, that if we have an issue or an ailment, we go and we see somebody in a white coat right. who tells us what to do, what to take, how to take it, when to take it, what to take it with. And we get like these really long set of instructions. And so, you know, it's kind of like a kid going off to college and being like, what do you mean? I'm in charge of deciding when I wake up and what I eat and all of the things like too much responsibility. <laughs> I can't handle this. You know, so it's like, oh, your wellness, you can take your wellness into your own hands now. Like that's mm -hmm. a lot for a lot of people to take in. And, you know, and that's what I try to do with this show is just just kind of walk that walk and show people what it really looks like in action to use cannabis for wellness. Yep. The other thing that came up a lot with these non-users was the fact that it was socially unacceptable still. Mm -hmm. So people still worried what other people think, even mm -hmm. in a legal market. Yeah. And I think it that stigma is going to stick around for a while, especially for certain groups of, of adults. Growing up from you know young age being told, cannabis is bad. The government was promoting this. The people around them were promoting it. Um, being told that for 50 years, 60 years, and then all of a sudden you're being told, no, it's okay. I yeah. think there's an adjustment period. Yeah. And I really do think it's um, it's the Gen Xers like me who were, you know, during our formative years, we were part of the Nancy Reagan, D.A.R.E. 
you know, I have friends that were like turning their parents in for smoking pot because, you know, they were afraid for their safety. And, you know, it's like that shit's crazy. But, you know, that sort of messaging driven into a seven, eight, nine, ten year old brain like that sticks. And we do have to remember it's it's only been a year in Canada, not even. Yeah. Um, where now it's legal it's fully legal um you can recreationally use cannabis um we've had medical for a little bit longer but really it's it's not been that long so it's going to take a little while for that adjustment period to sort of fizzle out um but we're really excited and actually we're seeing even in our data um a lot of new consumers um enter the market we're starting to see uh, things like average basket size starting to shrink because as new people enter the market they're spending a little bit less as they try things out see what works for them Mm -hmm. um and those avid consumers uh, make up less of the marketplace Yeah. yeah so tell me a little bit more about lyft like you know, kind of where you see your place and what service you offer to the Canadian consumer. Yeah. So if we're talking about the consumer side of things, um, it's really to help inform them, sort of provide them with information on products, but also just the industry and cannabis overall. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have our magazine that we use online to help inform in a more broad sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But also we talk about things like different strains, different methods of consumption, um, accessories. I mean, anything you want to learn, we try to cover pretty much everything. Um, And really for the consumer, that's what we're trying to do. So it's all about information, giving them that information they didn't have a year ago. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have an app or how do people engage with you if they are actively shopping and they do want to participate in what y'all do? How does that work? So our website is fully mobile. Um, You can just sign on on your on your phone, lift.co. That's all you got to do. And so people can they create a profile and start just sharing their shopping habits Exactly. And do they do they share um, their reviews of the products too, and all that good stuff? Yeah, so they sign up, um, fill out a profile, and then they can start submitting receipts. They can submit reviews on products, and then we also do surveys as well, which cover broader topics beyond mm-hmm. just the product. Right on. Do y'all do events during the year where you know you kind of try to get the tribe together, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. So our events are are definitely well known in the industry. Um, our Lift Expo, we had one really recently in Toronto. Um, I think we had over twenty thousand consumers uh, show up to that expo. So it was the largest one we've had so far. We have one coming up in uh, Vancouver in January, um, and really excited to see uh, what we're doing there as well. Very nice. Yeah, so I'm just kind of going back through and looking at all of this data. And, you know, the the versatile connoisseur, if we talk about the person who is most likely to use and consume and, you know, be an evangelist for the cannabis culture, you know, their knowledge of cannabinoids is almost 100%. Yeah. And so, you know, as we go down and, you know, the approval seekers, these are the we're still not consuming, but we're very curious. Mm-hmm. You know, these people, their knowledge of the cannabinoids is, you know, just around or over 50%. Yep. And then going down to where these people that, that are completely unconvinced, you know, their knowledge is 25 to 30%. So that just lends it to like, you know, you show up with a curious mind, ready to learn something. You could quickly go from being someone who doesn't believe in it at all to being a you know can of sort so to speak absolutely you know so if you are out there and you have 
a sibling or parent or something who is not interested in cannabis and they don't mind that you do it but when when you light up they just look at you and you just feel a little bit judged you should take them to a lifting co-op expo i mean it's almost like being in willy wonka's chocolate factory of just like really seeing like okay this is the entire culture under one roof Mm -hmm. and you know because that's really what it takes is you know somebody who doesn't know something they don't necessarily know where to get the best information or concise information or even to have a good experience with the information. You know, some shit is so dry. That was one of the things that I first noticed about your brand is that it's good information, but it's really palatable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, cannabis as as an industry, it can be really overwhelming because like you said, it's been around a long time. There are a lot of accessories and just terminology that you otherwise would never hear about. Um, but we try to make it digestible for that new consumer because we know that it's not an easy place to navigate. And yeah, our events are a great place to sort of dive deep and see what's going on. Um, But our website is an easy first step. So lift.co. And let's see, there were some other things that I wanted to chat with you about. Mm -hmm. Okay, so first of all, just for people that decide to visit Toronto, the legal smoking age in Ontario is 19. 19. This is the most populated province, mm-hmm. correct? Yep. But you only have 25 licensed dispensaries currently. Is that correct? There are 25 open. Um, so right now we're going through another phase of, of new licenses being released. Uh, I believe there are another 50 that should be opening. Um, they just have to finish up all of the sort of legal requirements. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when when people are visiting a new city, do you have um, a space on the lift.co website where you help people locate those dispensaries? Because I've always just typically gone to like Leafly. And, but if I know that there is a Canadian-based version that I yeah. can feel like I'm getting. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. Go to lift.co. You can look up the retailers that are available in your location. Um, and we keep them up to date. And all of the, the laws in each province and, and all that. And so we can travel between provinces with cannabis, right? In Canada, yes. Okay. So if I went to the airport, I can get on a plane with cannabis. Yes. There are legal limits that you're allowed to carry, but okay. absolutely. All right. Do they ask? I mean, because obviously I just travel across the border, so I'm always asked if I have cannabis. <laughs> and I always say no, because this is the only place I don't travel with weed. Yep. But... If I am on a intra-Canadian flight, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do they? Do you have to declare that? Do you say anything, or you just travel with it? You know, I'm not. I've never traveled with it and been asked about it before. Okay. Um. So I'm. Yeah. I'm not sure how I would answer that. Okay. Yeah. That's... I feel like we probably have an article about that. All right. Yeah. So I'll have to dig it up. Yeah, we'll find it. And put it in the show notes. <laughs> I mean, I think that's really important. Well, what's some of the most exciting data that you feel like you extracted from the study or something maybe that surprised you? Is there Mm -hmm. anything you want to highlight? For us, honestly, it's all the excitement around Cannabis 2.0, all these new product formats coming out, because we look at markets uh, like California Mm -hmm. and compared to ours, you know, you have thousands of brands and then tens of thousands of products over the year. Um, Here it's very very different so we have maybe 150 brands on average um, in each province you know maybe a thousand products or so 
And as soon as the, as soon as 2.0 happens, I mean, we're, this is going to explode. You know, we're going to go from a few hundred brands to a few thousand brands, from a few thousand products to tens of thousands of products. Um, and for us, what that means is that these new consumers finally have an outlet. Because what we found is that there is a large base of consumers that would just never smoke anything. But when it comes to edibles or topicals, they're like, yeah, I don't have to smoke it. I'll try it. Yeah. Um, and even from a data perspective, that means we have this whole new group of consumers coming in and sharing data um, and enriching the data set for both brands as well as consumers who are looking to enter. <laughs> yeah. And when you first were kind of talking to me about what you're doing, yeah. you are saying like right now things are changing weekly. Absolutely. So October 16th is the magic day where people can start submitting their new products to, is it to Health Canada? Is yeah. that where, okay. Yep. So then, you know, within 60, 90 days, it starts getting approved. Mm -hmm. So we might, starting in Q1 of next year, just new products every day coming online. Exactly. And so retailers have been preparing for a while, um, trying to figure out, you know, do I need a refrigerator in my store? How am I going to shelve all these new products? Because the packaging is different. You know, it, everything is different. Now, how is the packaging changing from 1.0 to 2.0? So with 1.0, we have a lot of um, plastic like canisters. Yes. Um, and they all have to be childproof and there's a lot of requirements around those things. Mm -hmm. um, but with edibles, you know, you might start getting to zipper packs and, and other types of packaging as well. So how to display those in the store is a different, uh, different challenge altogether. Got it. But as far as the visuals of the package, it's still going to be the same. Lots of warnings, that one inch square for... Yeah. The brand that, yeah. okay, so that piece isn't changing. No. Okay. And it definitely, it does create some challenges for brands because all you can see is their brand logo. Um, they're not allowed to put product features or expected sort of outcomes um, or expected effects, things like that on the package. So it is definitely a challenge for brands to say, this is my product over here versus another brand's product over there. Yeah. And I do have a question for you that you probably can answer. When I've been shopping in dispensaries here and I'm saying, okay, I really do need you to just point me to the highest THC flower that you have. Mm -hmm. And then someone shows me and they're like, well, this can range anywhere from 15 to 25%. Right. But isn't the exact cannabinoid ratio like on the container? Like how are they giving me that broad of a percentage yeah so it depends on the batch um again i'm probably not the best person to speak to the the science and and the legalities around all of the, the well the no products, but, but but that to me is something that it, that isn't the science or the, i mean like yeah. am i reading i mean these cannabinoid ratios are on that package so why are they whenever i'm trying to buy it are they saying well it could be from this to this when there's a definitive number written on that piece of paper yeah. I don't, so I don't understand. Yeah, it, it literally, it comes down to the batch. So depending on the batch, depending on the time when that product arrived in the store, um, they just don't want to change their shelf labels all the time is, is really what it comes down to. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah. That makes way more sense because I'm, I got home. I mean, you know, they package it up and then I get home yeah. and I'm like, wait, this isn't a range. This is a literal percentage of THC. So I was Absolutely. like, were you see, just being a lazy motherfucker and you didn't want to go back there and look? 
So yes, you're telling me he was. Yeah, it's shame on you, bud tender. The products, so all the product labels themselves have to be very precise, um, but the shelf labels can be ranges because they don't want to replace them as new batches come in. <sighs> all right, <laughs> you've just armed me with very good information, man. Because I was just like, I feel like I've been bamboozled. Okay, that does make a lot of sense. So we're almost one year in. Um, to legalization, 2.0s around the corner. This data that you've collected, like, are we starting? Are we just going to be continuing to compile it and see how these numbers massage and how they change, or do you all have a whole other new 2.0 study that you're you're starting to work on? You know, we we haven't started working on a new research paper that will release around 2.0. I'm assuming we probably would. You know, when we start <laughs> seeing these trends come out, it's still pretty far out, probably. <laughs> Late December, early January, we'll start to see some product trickle into the stores. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, beyond that, it might be February, March before we see a good selection of products uh-huh. to, for consumers to buy. Right. Uh, but we will be the first source in Canada to have a complete picture of the entire country, uh, what's happening. So as soon as people start buying these products, that data is going to start flowing into our site and we're going to start being able to provide that back to consumers as well as to the brands. Right on. If there is a couple of snippets of this study or the whole thing that I can share in the show notes, I really, you know, I am one that if I'm in the car listening to something, I don't want people spouting off a bunch of statistics to me. (laughs) Um, But I do think people would enjoy like being able to take a look at this and, you know, and, and being able to just kind of visually see how the story plays out. Absolutely. Yeah, we can share that. Okay, awesome. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think is important for us to, to consider as far as the Canadian consumer is concerned? Well, I mean, I'm sure we could talk for hours about this stuff. At least I could. I'm, well, I'm I just know geek. that you, you are a data geek on a time crunch. <laughs> so I'm trying to be efficient as hell. <laughs> you know, I... I I really enjoyed talking to you. I think we covered most of the important things here um, and and really just keeping in mind this industry is rapidly changing. We're still early on um, and it's important to keep your eye on the pulse uh, as these things change. You know, and I hope that if you are somebody who is really wanting to live more of an out loud and proud cannabis for wellness lifestyle that you really do capitalize on 2.0 and find those people in your life and you know be that person that shows how you know this looks and takes them into the store be a personal shopper you know I tell people back home you know be a cannabis sherpa in your community be the person that's willing to have that conversation with your family the person in line at the bank the grocery store you know I think the fastest way to really change a culture is to just be a great example of it Mm -hmm. yeah and I mean uh, from our perspective you want to jump on our social channels there's great community going on there very active a lot of connoisseurs talking about this stuff stuff every single day so it's not just our website where we share reviews but we have a great community built around our social networks as well right on and tell me what your social handle is at lift and co Lift and A and D or Lift and Persan Co. And okay. okay, so it's Lift. At Lift and Co. <laughs> All right. Hard we- to say. No, not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> Just for me. <laughs> yeah. You're into the data, not the English language. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean, thank you so much for hanging out. Thank you. 
I don't know about you, but I always have better dialogue when I have some background. Maybe this conversation helps you better understand folks that aren't having the same cannabis experience as you. Perhaps you're inspired to share the data of your shopping experiences and give product feedback. I know many customers are leery of data sharing, and I totally get it because I am one of those people. The way I see it in this situation, though, if we want the cannabis industry to grow up responsibly, as consumers, we need to teach them well. Companies that make data-driven decisions improve their overall positioning, product development, marketing, and sales. So what does that mean to us as the consumers of those products? It means everyone is listening to you. It means you have an opportunity. Brands and product designers want to know what you think about your experience with their brand and product or service. So go on, get paid to use your voice and demand better crafted, higher quality products that actually do what they claim they can do. Ask for detailed ingredients labels that include cannabinoid and terpene profiles. Get healthier edibles on those shelves. Demand mindful packaging that respects the light-sensitive cannabis products inside and our planet outside. And for the love of God, no matter how pretty it is, stop buying cannabis brands with wasteful packaging. Rate your bud tender. Suggest ways to improve your dispensary shopping experience. It's just like in politics. Your voice matters and your experience is noteworthy. Canadians can sign up at lift.co. Click the join button at the top of the page. And in the U.S., well, I honestly don't know. I mean, I assumed we had something like Lifting Co. in the States. And I went to the old reliables like Leafly and Weed Maps and Pot Guide and a handful of others until my ADD kicked in and I got frustrated and I quit. I couldn't find a rewards program like the one that Lift & Co. has. So if any of you pot-smoking Americans with an opinion out there know of a white hat organization that's utilizing consumer data for good with full transparency plus an incentive program, would you kindly send me a message at casuallybaked.com? Or you can DM me on social. I'm at casuallybaked. We had a Look forward to learning something new from you. And if you learned something from me, please rate and review Casually Baked the Podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Sharing is caring, so puff puff, pass it on. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% .9 of our DNA is identical.
is a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like, their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on everything is personal.